The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. The go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal valid when product served. Welcome to episode number 72 of the LSR Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by the brightest minds in all of the gaming industry. With me this week, we have Adam Candy, we have Dustin Galker, and we have a very special guest in Sarah Slane. Another one of the brightest minds in all of the gaming industry will be joining us in just a little bit to talk about all things gaming and a really good, nice, uh, robust interview that Adam was able to get with Sarah, so appreciate the time there uh as always we're on all the places that you find podcasts so please go in subscribe rate and review we do appreciate that at lsp report at adam candy at dustin galker and if you really dislike yourself at matt brown m2 if you want to follow me guys we're only going to hit on a couple of topics here we had a really good interview that we don't want people to uh listen to us talk too much we'd rather them listen to the interview with sarah here so let's just go ahead we'll kick things off with what could be you know, this only really came down here in about a you know last 90 minutes before we started recording here. But there was a settlement, as we kind of predicted here on this podcast, between Five Dimes and the United States government. Now, this is something that we were saying. It seemed like a very weird time for them to pull out of the U.S. right before football season right before all the money was going to start flooding back into the company, right during prime customer acquisition period as well. We thought something must have been going on with all of that. And that is exactly what ended up happening here. Um, Adam, let me start with you on this. And look, as we kind of read through this, and this is still pretty new to us as well, we will certainly follow up on this on next week's podcast as more information continues to be revealed. But as they had alluded to in the emails to their customers, whenever they announced that they were going to be withdrawing from the United States, we are finding that they do, in fact, have their eyes on the U.S. market. That's accurate. They have already incorporated in Delaware with the hopes of entering the U.S. legal sports betting market. Now, Let's pump the brakes on that one for a second. There are many steps and many of them big and perilous for Five Dimes to become a legal U.S. regulated sports betting operator. The basics of this, we see that dating back to 2016, Five Dimes has been under investigation in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania by the federal government for any number of illegal operations. It's a very, very important point to note that it was under investigation 
for illegally accepting bets from the United States market. There are those around the edges of the industry who want to tell you that offshore has been operating legally, that you know they operate legally where they are. It's not illegal to accept bets from the United States. The federal government has made very clear that it sees accepting bets from the United States as an illegal activity. Now, the settlement also says they were under an investigation for wire fraud, money laundering, and a variety of other serious charges that show that what we've talked about for a long time here, if the federal government ever wanted to truly crack down on the illegal market, that it shows that it has not only the ability, but some level of interest in doing that. So yes, there is the five dime side of this where they are not going to be prosecuted. There's not going to be a civil suit, but they forfeited nearly $47 million in illegally obtained assets. And I'm not putting words onto that. That's exactly what the federal government said in its press release. So there is a long way between they are clear of federal charges and state level regulators are going to license them as a legal U.S. sports book because the charges that Five Dimes was able to avoid prosecution for are gravely serious and date back really uh, almost a decade. Uh, The investigation goes back to 16, but it references in the press release that the activities go back to 2011. Dustin, the quote, beginning in at least 2011, Five Dimes accepted wagers from and made payouts to U.S. bettors and transferred more than $46.8 million in proceeds earned from its illegal gambling activities in such a manner as to attempt to hide the nature, location, source, and control of the funds. So again, illegal gambling activities is the thing that kind of sticks out to us there. We always hear from people saying, you know, oh, this is a gray area matter. There is, this is completely in the gray. This is why this is, has been able to continue to be a thriving industry for as long as it has. Yet I'm reading literally the direct quote right there where it does say illegal gambling activities and you know this is speculation i'm not trying to put you on the spot here but when you kind of read this and that there's been investigations into five dimes as far back as a few years ago it does at least from from our standpoint make us wonder if there are any other investigations that had happened are there any other investigations that are still ongoing is this the just the beginning of the government actually starting to look into other online sports wagering uh, activities that are coming out of you know various parts of the world there's there's a lot of questions here that i think that 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 this really does kind of bring to light yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I'm not going to go too far on a limb and say, yes, the U.S. government is looking at the other offshore sports books, but you can read this and, and get there because, you know, we kind of thought this might have been tied to the kidnapping and eventual murder of, of Sean Tony Creighton, who's five times Tony, who is the owner, the the, uh, the widow left behind, who's, who cut this deal with the with the feds like we thought i kind of thought that this was tied to that somehow he that was in 2018 this goes way back before he was gone so this means they've been you know it was not triggered by those events that that you know the u.s attorney's office in pennsylvania at least was looking at this specific operation for other reasons now were they just sloppier or or are they sloppier than everyone else and you know this is just a a good time to to you know get the settlement and get this get this thing done i don't know but it does read like 
okay, this it's hard to believe that, okay, we're only looking at five dimes and no one else when you know that there's obviously other sports betting operations out there. Again, does that mean beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're, they're looking at other offshore sports books and, and online casinos, et cetera, et cetera? No, but it mean, but it's, you, you can read this, this, this press release from the U.S. attorney and, and get there because it's, you know, it, clearly they've been looking at five dimes for quite a while, and it would be it would be kind of wild to only look at five dimes and not at other illegal sports betting operations. And Adam, when we take a look at all of this, I mean, you know, forty six point eight million. There were there were there's this, some of this was cash, some of this was assets, some of this. I mean, one one was a, a baseball card or whatever, base basketball card or something like that. Um, there is money that is still additionally to be paid here. So when people see that number, it wasn't like, okay, they just stroked a check for $47 million here. That being said, I mean, it's still a lot of money that they had on hand, a lot of assets that they had on hand that the widow had on hand in order to be able to get this settlement done here. And so it does make you, it does really, again, kind of bring to light here whenever we say, man, these, these offshore sports books were making a ton of money and have been making a ton of money for a long time. It really kind of, this illustrates just, just how much money they, they have been making over this, over this time. Without question, Matt. And when you look in that investigation, you see that it's not just five times you're talking about third party payment processors who essentially were helping to cover the nature of these transactions. That's an important piece of what we've found out from the federal government about what they were looking into. They're basically saying that not only was it that you were illegally operating a gambling operation uh, from the Department of Redundancy Department in the United States, but they're also saying that this was fraud in terms of trying to conceal the money. You talked about a baseball card. Uh, There are various other assets listed, and the release is very clear about saying these assets were acquired for the purpose of hiding the money. So this isn't just a matter of was it legal or not to take the bets? No, it wasn't legal. They made a settlement. This goes far beyond that. And when we talk about a $47 million settlement over the course of, you know, 2011 to 2020. So even if you just want to do some napkin math and say that that's $5 million in in revenue per year, like that's enormous. And you know, that's not all of it. And you know, you're just talking about one offshore operator when frankly, there are bigger ones out there that you know, are making more money. And in fact, we still don't know is five dimes serving the rest of the world. And are they serving those markets legally? So there are going to be myriad questions for state level regulators to work through if they're considering bringing five dimes into the US. And I know that the PR offensive that five dimes has put out there today has tried to make it sound like this is it. This is what we needed to get clear to come into the legal market. Oh, no, no. This is the first step in what is going to be many, many steps toward legalization if you ever get there. Dustin, we're not going to speculate, you know, that 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 they're you know going to or not going to or whatever. But I think what we definitely know just through talking to people who have been through the process, you hear some of these uh, casinos that have applied in the various states that, you know, it's a pretty strenuous process to be able to get a gaming license in the first place. And now even with a past like five dimes has, you would have to think it puts just an incredible burden on them to be able to get 
a license here. It makes me wonder if they had some sort of back channel to think that they actually have a chance of doing this because I can't imagine this is just a pie in the sky dream of theirs that they're like, okay, let's go ahead. We'll pay the 47 million and then we'll go see if we're going to be able to get into some of these states. It almost leads me to believe there has to have been some sort of discussion, some sort of something that gave them the idea that this was an actual, that this was actually feasible. I, I mean, I'd agree that they're not doing this on a total hope and a prayer. They, I mean, they, they, I mean, they might've been out of options and, you know, mm-hmm. this was forced upon them. Yes. But uh, I, I'd say they probably had some of that of conversations with people in the, in the legal gaming industry here in the United States. I also, I mean, we've been teasing the settlement for a while, I think in this podcast, I don't think they're going to be a B to C sports book operator in the United States. I don't, I don't think that's what we're going to see them try to do. Uh, maybe I'm wrong there, but I think, I think they're going to try to be, uh, you know, put their, put their software out there and try to let, let other people use it, be more of a vendor. There is a, there's less of an onus on a vendor to be to be licensed and regulated in the United States. So I, if, if, if I were doing it, I'd say, I don't know if I can get that full license, but maybe I can get through as a vendor. You know, again, we have the backing. You, know, you read through the DOGA press, the U.S. Attorney's press release. They have the backing of that. They, they've created this U.S. entity. I don't know. It all sounds wild to me that, 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 we're, that we're there, but at the same time, I agree with you. It's kind of, it'd be kind of wild for them to just shut everything down and say, oh, we're coming to the U.S. and just like, yeah, but just just wishful thinking. That's a, that's a little <laughs> right. bit much, I guess, to to believe. So, I mean, as we're, as we're sitting here, we, there's lots more questions I have. Five Dimes, yeah, like Adam said, I mean, there's still a Five Dimes EU that is running for the, the rest of the world that is still taking bets. What what happened there? Did they? They I mean they split off this American entity? What happened to that? What happened? I mean, we have no idea. We have this whole press release from Five Dimes, but Five Dimes, the the brand is and the and the, is still running in the U.S. We reported several weeks ago, Brad Allen did, uh, on how they're just sending customers from Five Dimes to another identical-looking back-end site called BetAnySports.eu uh, that is basically just a sister site skin. So there, there's some question of what Five Dimes has actually done here. They've, yes, they've created this U.S. entity that I guess, I guess is clean. I don't know. Uh, DOJ has, has, has talked about it as such, but... It's we just have, well, I have lots of questions, and I, you know, and I presume regulators are going to ask those questions too. Um, you know, uh, and you and I had this. I've been rambling and talking a lot. I know you and I had this conversation when Adam was out about what's a gray, what's a gray and a black market operator. Poker Stars obviously long to, a long time ago broke U.S. law. We saw just last week, Asai Scheinberg was was fined thirty thousand dollars and and served time served in a hotel uh, for for what Poker Stars did and how it violated u.s law i i i just this feels like too much for me this is like they were taking bets from u.s customers literally almost yesterday and we have all this going on i i don't know it feels wrong that we're to the point where this is all this feels like we're we've washed it almost completely and it feels like we should be definitely pumping the brakes and i want to pose that question to both of you guys who spent more time covering the poker space than i did and just ask for those who are hearing comparisons to say well poker stars went through this and you know eventually became a regulated us operator i mean how do you compare and contrast this situation to that one 
I mean, Dustin, I think the most obvious is just the fact that there was a change in ownership between poker stars, right? I mean, like whenever you kind of take a take a look at how they made their way to a legal market here in the U.S., I mean, it was the people that were running the company at the time when things were, you know, quote unquote gray area uh, before before the, the shutdown. Those people were no longer in charge when poker stars was actually able to come back into the States. I mean, that's, that's basically how I would, how would, how I would answer that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I parse it too much, but yes, it's gone. I mean, it's gone through two sales. It was, you know, it was sold to Amaya um, and then sold to uh, became, became the stars group, then sold to flutter. I mean, it's, it's poker stars is so far removed from that. Now it's like, it's hard to see like you know, that, that removal does not exist here from the initial poker stars brand. Um, so yeah, I think there's a difference there. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, clearly this is, I mean, God only knows back in 2011, we all, when we were in the poker industry, everybody thought it was a gray area back then, right? It was, it became clear on uh, 2011 Black Friday that this was not, that was, this was, this was not the case. They were were not operating legally or even in a gray, they were breaking, breaking the law. And you know, obviously the, uh, 2006 unlawful internet gambling enforcement act on top of that made it pretty clear. So uh, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of space between a poker stars. And I, I understand poker stars was, was wrong and, but still, still this day, poker stars is persona non grata in Nevada cannot, has not been approved to operate poker in Nevada. Uh, so they're still paying some of the price of that too. Um, I don't know. It just, it feels different. Again, the speed of it too is like, okay, poker stars, you know, did it, did a little bit of penance and we're like, Okay, we signed the settlement, and like we have a U.S. entity, and we're trying to go, we're trying to pitch ourselves to to U.S. regulators and operators right now. Like that's that's a little that's a little much for me to go from. Okay, yeah, let's go, let's go. We're, we you know, we're, again, and I have all these other questions. Like you know, Poker Stars and others have gone went cold turkey, right? Poker Stars went cold turkey. Uh, you know, they are still serving allegedly you know gray markets and have pulled out of some of those. But you know, five times again, still you know, what they've done here to become quote unquote, okay. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm buying it. It it seems a little bit like a shell game to, to an uh, outside observer. Yeah. And you know, again, I'm just speculating on this and we'll, we'll move on, but it seems very hard to me that you will ever be betting at five dimes sportsbook in the United States. It feels very, very like an incredible, incredible long shot here. And Dustin, I think like think you hit the nail on the head where if there's any path at all, it would be just providing the back end services and stuff. And, you know, Lord knows there are definitely some, uh, some operators here who could use some, some upgrading. So who knows, maybe, yeah, maybe I mean, there yeah. is a path, can right? You, can you, can you, use, yeah. I mean, are you, if you're there, if they're a B2C, you're just saying, Oh, you can use that customer list that you've, that you've uh, uh, acquired over all these years. Like that's not fair. That doesn't seem very fair either. Right. Like you, you acquire right. that while illegally and you're, Again, same, people can at me about it. Same thing with Poker Stars. They, their email list was older, but they they marketed to Americans and have uh, that that they marketed to back then. They that email list or and those user accounts, uh, you know, made it through all of that. So again, it's the, it's the whiplash of it for me that it's like, okay, settlement illegal. Okay, fine. Now we're going to be regulated tomorrow. Like uh, that. And again, like Adam said, this is not like done deal. This is going to, we, we hope that regulators will, you know, be asking hard questions and not just rubber stamping this over top of it. But there's a, there's a lot, there is a lot more to, to the story that I think that, that will be written and that we still don't know. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, we'll follow up on this. The more that the information comes out on all this, I mean, on top of all that, I mean, it's super expensive to get licensed in a lot of states, right? To even to even do all of this if you wanted to be, uh, you know, consumer facing as it is as well. So lots and lots and lots to play out here. And we will continue to keep you guys updated on everything. Now I want to go to a boss in the gaming industry. I have the pleasure of talking to Adam and Dustin each and every week. And I add another one of those brightest minds right here in Sarah Slane. You know her probably from being senior vice president of the American Gaming Association. She has now gone out on her own with Slane Advisory over the last year or so. So you can uh, definitely acquire her services if need be within the industry. But another one of those that uh, really knows this thing inside and out worked for MGM even before that. So has been in as as long as all of us have in all of this and knows an incredible amount. So Adam was able to get some time with her. Here's Adam and Sarah. Well, it's a pleasure for us to be joined by Sarah Slane here on the LSR podcast. Uh, you might know Sarah not only from her own advisory firm at this point in the sports betting space, but of course from many years spent with the American Gaming Association, MGM Prior to that, Sarah, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I I truly am a big fan. I love the show. I think it's great. So I'm excited to be here. Well, we knew that that fan was out there somewhere. We're glad to finally meet her. <laughs> um, on the podcast, I heard you're big so. in uh, Sheboygan. Sheboygan? Oh, big in, yes, big in Sheboygan. And Matt Brown, of course, gives us a huge Louisiana following. So, you know, that's, that's where we know the fans are. Um, well, you have a fan in Baltimore. So well, there you thank go. You Rounded it all out here. Yep. <laughs> well, we know that we're... Uh, taking the globe by storm one fan at a time. So we appreciate uh, your support and, and thanks for your time as well. I just start by asking you the, the natural question of, you know, what a time in the casino industry, given the time in the rest of the world, you know, what has 2020 been like for you? Yeah. Um, yeah it's a good, a good uh, lead into to our discussion. Um, it's been a long road, quite frankly. Um, I couldn't be more excited for the opportunity, um, you know, for the, for the industry. And uh, you mentioned, I, I worked for MGM and I lived in Las Vegas, um, in 2006 through 2012 and, uh, moved back to Maryland and actually helped MGM with their national Harbor project. And then obviously worked for a trade association that represented the industry. So I feel like, you know, things have, I just in a place that were, you know, unimaginable a few years ago. And so I'm, I'm incredibly excited for the opportunities and 2020 um, has obviously not been short of surprises. That's for sure. But um, some of them good, some of them not so good, but uh, in the world of sports betting, I think uh, all in all good. So let's go back for a second there to you talked about living in Las Vegas in 2006. And obviously that was sort of the leading edge of the recession in Las Vegas. And the first time that the casino industry went through a pretty low time and had to uh, suffer some hits and sort of reinvent itself and come back. And, and it felt as though when we entered 2020, that it was a time of opportunity for the industry. You know, what do you see coming for the industry as a whole here as we get through 2020 and emerge out into the coming years? Yeah, it's been, 
it, 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 I'm, I'm so glad that I lived through that period and that I was in Vegas when all of that was happening because it gives me such good perspective, you know, on the highs and lows of the industry. And, and certainly during that period, um, prior to 2008, when the market went bust and I was at MGM and the whole world seemed to be falling apart, um, you know, it was a, it was a roller coaster ride. I mean, there was a period there where MGM was sort of on the brink of bankruptcy. They were still constructing and finishing up city center. And, um, it gave me such good perspective, uh, not only as an employee of a, a fortune 500 company, but also, you know, a gaming employee and one that lived in Las Vegas and in, uh, in a state that was so reliant on, um, casinos and, and those dollars. And so you fast forward years later and, you know, COVID hits and it certainly feels like, you know, the industry took it on the chin again. Um, and it was, uh, it, you know, you, you sat there and you're like, wow, we're, I can't believe, you know, this is happening, obviously, I mean, for much bigger reasons I and mean, the health, health epidemic and scare. Um, so not, you know, comparing an economic crisis to that, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, it's going to be a long road, but the the bright side of all of that was that thankfully the industry has now the opportunity to diversify. And um, you know, I, I always say this about sports betting. Um, it really is like the camel's nose under the tent. I mean, I was at MGM during all of the debates around online gaming and poker, and lived through um, you know a lot of the the ups and downs from a legislative perspective and to see now where we are as an industry and the, the inroads that we've made, made in legislatures across the country. Um, you know, it just certainly opens up an entirely new vertical, but thankfully the industry was able to pivot to a bit um, while the brick and mortar casinos were either shut down or where they still are today, you know, operating at half capacity. So let's dive back into how that camel's nose got under the tent in the first place and the effort when you were with the American Gaming Association to repeal PASPA to get to this point with sports betting. Um, obviously something that did not happen overnight that had a roller coaster feel, as you mentioned, with some other things. Maybe kind of take us back to the beginnings of that and you know where you started and where we are today. Yeah, um, it's it's funny because you know it's it's a bit cliche, but it, it is true. Um, you know, you really do learn from your mistakes, and I think those mistakes had to happen on internet gaming to get us to where we are today on sports betting. And a couple lessons learned through that was uh, this was back in 2010. Uh, there was a big craze obviously prior to 2006 there was a lot of illegal um offshore there still is i know but um illegal offshore gambling that was happening and then there was a federal law that was put in place that that stopped that uh, the banks processing transactions and then there was this kind of period between 06 and 10 where there was a big push by a couple um companies namely caesars to want to um, promote and push for online um, gambling. And, uh, you know, we had a great champion in Senator Reid. He was the Senate Majority Leader. He obviously wanted to do whatever he could for the state of Nevada uh, to help the casino interest. Um, the problem was that the industry itself writ large was never actually aligned. So, 
Um, there was a there was a period where, quite frankly, a bunch of uh, casino operators in Las Vegas started doing deals with um, some of the uh, uh, online gaming companies, uh, global online gaming companies, and were aligning themselves. And it just ended up turning into one big competitive nightmare. And um, where it just basically took the whole effort down. And that, you know, was such an amazing learning lesson when we then fast forwarded being at AGA and, you know, sort of having this kickoff from the sports side with Adam Silver's op-ed and wanting to see legalized regulated sports betting, that having had that perspective um, and being in the role where I was, where you're, you're the national trade group, you're representing the casino industry writ large, it's not just one operator um, over the other, that you really had to drive consensus among the industry first in order then to go achieve um, legalization. So, you know, we spent a lot of time working with, um, or I spent a lot of time working with uh, the operators for about a year, kind of educating them about sports betting, talking to them about their concerns, because there was, quite frankly, a big concern about um, Nevada being cannibalized. And that, you know, there was, a, I think, a, a perception as though, although not true, that, that Nevada had this monopoly over sports betting and why would they give that up? And, um, you know, I think the reality of the situation was that, you know, Nevada didn't have a monopoly. There was a huge illegal market that was happening. And also, you know, when this was enacted, PASPA was enacted back in 1992, um, the the gaming interests were largely in confined to a couple states and now you have operators obviously that have properties um throughout the country so it benefited them to to see legalized sports betting outside of nevada so um you know i think you sort of fast forward to 2020 and all the work that had to be done and the sort of laying of the the ground on a communications effort and softening the ground i should say and getting people with wanting legalized regulated sports betting you know, it, it honestly, a lot of it comes down to nomenclature. I think that the, you know, the push for online casino versus online sports betting is just more palatable to legislators. And, you know, I think that's why we've seen such tremendous success over the past year and a half, two years, however far along we are now um, in states adopting legalized sports betting. You touched on something I'm really curious about because you and I have both had experience obviously working on that government side and sometimes with legislators who don't have a lot of education, whether it's about casino or about sports betting, I mean, not only can that curve be steep, but there is um, there is a sort of taboo that you're overcoming with a lot of people. And I'm curious, you know, what that was like for you as a representative of the industry trying to overcome that. <laughs> it just, uh, I have a flashback to uh, a meeting that I remember having with a colleague of mine um, in, uh, I'll, I'll leave the state nameless, but, um, and we walked in and we were meeting with a regulatory agency and they had just enacted casino legislation and um, they looked at us and they said, wow, um, you weren't what we were expecting. You guys clean up a lot nicer than, than we envisioned. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I suppose that's a compliment. Um, but, you know, it, it really you know spoke to, I think, the perception that's out there of the industry, unfortunately. And, um, you know, I, I just had a great appreciation for it, given I had lived in Las Vegas, I had worked at MGM. I really did see how much um, the company, you know, put back into its employees 
was always constantly impressed with um, all the programs that were available, all the charitable giving, you know, all the, the uh, uh, alignment with the local community um, as an employer. And so that became a big part of my job when I was at AGA was, you know, getting out there and, and you know, setting the record straight about the industry. And quite frankly, it was a big part of my job in sports betting. And, you know, there are two words in that, sports and betting. And, you know, when we looked at how we were going to move this issue forward, we realized that this was a much bigger issue, many more stakeholders than just the gaming industry. And it was the sports industry and it was the media industry and it was the law enforcement community. And, you know, I spent a lot of my time with the leagues and educating them about the casino industry, how highly regulated we were, um, you know, I think hopefully set the record straight on a lot of misperceptions and, you know, tried to always drive back to alignment on a lot of issues, including integrity and um, not around integrity fees, but around integrity. And, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, I think ended up being very fruitful, but, um, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to, you're going to, you have to realize you're always going to start a deficit when you're advocating for this industry. It just, it is what it is. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, getting out there with facts, being armed with research, um, you know, is always helpful in, in, in doing that. So you didn't show up with any of your friends with the crooked noses and the baseball bats to come uh, meet with <laughs> legislators. I mean, it sounds like that's what they were expecting uh, to walk in the door. I think, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, of course. Like I think outside and, and, you know, this is, it, it, this is what happens sometimes. I think in Nevada, obviously, the casino industry is the the dominant industry. It's the biggest player in the state. It's the largest contributor to the state coffers. Um, you get outside of Nevada and it's the opposite. You know, you're, you're one of many industries. And so it's a lot harder to go into these legislatures. And, you know, while you can be a, a big economic contributor, certainly at a local level, you know, when you're, you're viewed through the lens of multiple industries in other states, and there's this, you know, terrible misperception around, um, you know, what the industry does and who, based off 1977 movies and um, which, by the way, are pretty good. But, you know, it's just it's the it's that 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 hurdle that you have to overcome. And um, it's not an easy one. No, I'm, I'm sure that it's not. And I think those of us here in Nevada certainly take it for uh, for granted in a way that you can't do on the national level and you, uh, you referenced, you know, working with the leagues and, and getting to the point of, you know, not only of understanding, but now to the point of cooperation. And I'm really curious how that's been for you, you know, with your role, uh, working for yourself now with Slam advisory and you're working in partnership with some of the leagues. And I'm sure some of the folks where you weren't always in agreement, uh, back, during AGA days. So I'm curious what the transition's been like for you and how those partnerships have gone. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. Honestly, I think it works so well because um, I don't think I ever took, I mean, I I would like to say, I don't think I ever took an adversarial position. Um, There were things that I certainly felt passionate about and I continue to feel passionate about um, from the industry's perspective and integrity fees was certainly one of those. And Um, but I always, you know, at the end of the day, try to keep obviously relationships cordial and, and be respectful of, of points of view. And, 
Um, but I had a job, you know, and, and I had a job to be the advocate for the industry. And, and when I thought things were not right or unfair and the industry, you know, was uh, going to be set up to fail, I, you know, certainly was going to defend that, that position. But I think it's worked out really well because um, now when I'm kind of working with teams or leagues or media companies, and you're know, sort of bridging the gap between um, those stakeholders and then the gaming industry is I, I think everyone feels like they've got an advocate on both sides, which means I, the industry representatives know they can trust me. They know I get the industry. They know that I understand, you know, sort of the economics of how sports betting works. Um, and then on the, you know, the sports side, I think that they trust and rely that I, I understand that industry and that my interest is it is to drive partnership. and. I want everyone to be successful in all of this and I want us to do it in a way that's thoughtful and smart and, you know, builds long-term success. And so um, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I've really, really been happy with, you know, the way things have worked out. It feels as though bridging that communication gap in getting people to understand that we probably as an industry have a lot more in common in terms of our alignment and our goals and where we want sports betting in specific to end up um, than we might have even a few years ago. And, and I'm sure that having those dual experiences that you've had makes it, um, I don't know, I would think it would bring you a, a very uh, a unique perspective in trying to communicate with both sides. Yeah, it's um it's interesting because I think that when you are a team or you're a league or you're a media company, your strategy becomes much bigger than like a sponsorship deal, right? Like yes, of course. Like those are dollars you're going to get in the door, but it it really should be elevated to a much higher strategic purpose, which is you want your consumers either the ones that are there now or the ones that you're hoping to gain to use this tool, which is sports betting to engage with your product. And if you take that point of view, it, you know, I think it, it leads to a much um, stronger partnership and it leads to a vested interest on both sides. It's not, you know, mutually, um, exclusive, like it's beneficial for everyone. And, you know, though, when you have that kind of mindset, that, that leads to true partnership and it doesn't become then necessarily like the Coke Pepsi war. Like you just go and do one exclusive deal and you are going to promote the hell out of Coke because you want to bury Pepsi. Like it's really about, you want to work with everyone and you want sports betting to succeed because that's the tool that you need in order to engage your consumers. So when it comes to the success of the industry, um, it feels from our perspective as though there are some threats that come from inside the house and there are some threats that come from outside the house. And I'm curious to get your perspective um, on a couple of those. And I'll start with the news of the day, which only broke about an hour before uh, we were recording this interview in the news of Five Dimes reaching a nearly $47 million settlement with the federal government um, related to its illegal activities in the U.S. as an offshore sports betting operator. And then, uh, you know, some intent on that end to get involved in the legal U.S. market. I'm just curious your perspective on what you've seen yeah. so far. 
Yeah. Um, super interesting news, obviously, that just broke. And, um, you know, when you've lived through a couple of these with um, other operators that have, have done settlement agreements and then, you know, cleaned up their act and tried to then enter in the U.S. in a, a legitimate legal way. So it's interesting. Um, yeah, it's, look, this is something that we struggled with internally. So and it goes back, honestly, to DraftKings FanDuel days, which was, um, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel were out there. They were sort of operating in this gray market. Um, there wasn't always expressed uh, legality as to what they were doing. And at that time, um, you know, I think where we, we tried to sort of lead the industry was, you know, we need to innovate, right? Like we, we as an industry have to innovate. We have to continue to compete. And, um, you know, it, it's what's happening right now may not be um, necessarily clear on legality. Like, I don't think that the industry would have been well served to go toe to toe with the daily fantasy sports companies. And we viewed that as sort of one piece that was going to get us to a much larger objective, which was to have legalized sports betting. So it was really part of the reason why we never went really openly toe to toe with them. And yes, there were some one-off incidents, don't get me wrong, in Illinois, and there were some brutal, you know, state legislative battles, but collectively at a national level, we were never trying to get out there and, and, and say, you know, whatever. Um, now, it, to your point about um, bad actors or um, other entrants now into the market, you know, I think that the competition and regulation can, can be your friend and foe. Um, the high regulatory bar that exists for the industry has certainly helped keep a lot of people out of the space. Um, the threshold is ex extremely high. It's expensive. Um, you know, it's, it's not going to be a, a place where a lot of startups, un unfortunately, um, entrants are going to come. It's just, it's, the bar's too high. So it, you know, that, that helps, that helps incumbents. Now, the part where it starts to hurt is when you do want to go innovate and you have all these regulatory hurdles and it's very expensive to, to do um, BD and not know whether or not your product's going to get through um, and be on the casino floor or be on a mobile device. Um, so again, you kind of have to weigh the, the pros and cons of that. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, our, our, is the industry always going to struggle with new entrants and maybe um, those companies that, we're either in gray markets or operating illegally. Yes. Do I think it's going to go away? No. Um, do I think sometimes it breeds innovation? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we see in every industry, any disruptor, but uh, I don't think that, you know, the casino industry is going to be immune from that either. Well, you didn't know you were using the perfect word for me to segue into the call that I was talking about coming from inside the house, but you use the word disruptor. And I think that is a, a fair, uh, equitable definition of what's happened with Barstool thus far uh, in its entry into the legal mm -hmm. sports betting market via Penn National. Um, you know, it, I, I don't know. There, there are parts of it that feel like you're opening up to a new audience and and bringing sports betting to uh, to a wider group uh, to the recreational better. And there are parts of it where you know some of the attitudes maybe toward responsible gaming and, and some of the advertising. Mm -hmm have been tricky to, uh, to get your head around. So uh, overall, what have you seen, you know, over the last few months with, uh, with that particular sports book and its partnership? Yeah. I know you guys talk about this a lot and, um, 
Yeah, but prior to that transaction occurring, I think Barstool had always been interesting to all the operators. They obviously were, you know, FanDuel and, and DraftKings were involved with them um, as an affiliate for, for years. Um, and, you know, I think that was the biggest part that probably operators struggled with. And Jay Snowden said that um, in, in interviews himself, like they're, they have this sort of bad boy reputation. They've done some things that, you know, have been, uh, you know, definitely controversial and continue to. And, you know, I, 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 I had the conversation with, um, with Erica Nardini, um, you know, when that transaction closed. And by the way, I feel like, I think that team that's over at Penn is spectacular. I mean, there's super smart. John Kaplowitz is such a, uh, thoughtful person. Um, Jay Snowden, you know, such a great CEO, you know, the team is, um, very, very thoughtful. And so, you know, one of the things I did say when that closed, I was like, look, you guys should really think about how you can, you know, creatively talk about responsible gaming in a way that resonates. And I know that's something that they, you know, they appreciate, they have their arms around, they are a highly regulated company. Um, they get, you know, the, the, the nuances of that, they understand the responsibility that they have. Um, so look, do I think that, you know, my hope is that, um, they are hopefully able to elevate the conversation in a way that's meaningful, that resonates, um, you know, sports betting, this was always the risk, right? Like there's just going to be more, uh, gambling and there's going to be more advertising that's going to occur. And I think that was the reason why, you know, when we were at AGA, we always looked at like, how do we get in front of potential problems? And one of those was setting up the self-regulatory um, agency through the AGA, not agency, but the self-reg body with all the operators, um, you know, to work with the federal government to say, look, we're trying to address, address these issues head on. And, you know, keeping in mind the lessons learned uh, abroad and, and seeing now the regulatory backlash and, and how we deal with it. Um, so, look, I think, you know, I think Penn is uh, incredibly conscientious responsible operator and i know that they're you know they're definitely taking it seriously and i know this is something that you know they obviously considered through through their transaction and clearly have gotten comfortable with that partnership all right well i appreciate you taking a walk through a pair of minefields with me there um and we can come back to you know <laughs> talking about the, the industry writ large here a bit and i mean look no one could have expected um what we're dealing with in 2020 so you know, predictions might not be worth the paper that they're written on, but what what you've seen in the two and a half years of legal sports betting in the U.S., what do you think are the major issues that are in front of the industry as we go forward? Um, you know, I think it depends on, on, on what specifically you're looking at. If it's like from a business perspective, uh, there's, a, there's so many technology issues that still need to be addressed. Um, you know, and I've been impressed at how quickly, obviously this is rolled out and how quickly the industry's had to react to that and build the plane while, you know, it's in the air, um, which is hard. And so I, I think that, you know, that's one piece of it will just be like the technological advances, advancements that are going to need to occur, especially if we want to get to the ultimate place, which is the micro betting or in-play prop betting with bet and watch. Um, just a lot of things are going to have to happen in order for that to take off. 
uh, you know, secondarily would be obviously the social issues, which we just we touched on a bit, which is, you know, responsible gaming and advertising in a way that's um, not going to completely turn everyone off and also, you know, raise eyebrows of federal lawmakers or uh, regulatory agencies. So, you know, getting in front of that. And then I think, you know, on the business side of it, there's obviously going to be a lot of um, acquisition, merger um, activity that's going to occur. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a growth space. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. There's obviously already been some, some discussions already, but you know, I think that'll be another area that will, uh, will continue to take off. And what will be next for you? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I'm really happy. You know, I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. And I think that I am really well positioned to, you know, just continue to to move things along in a in a productive way and um, you know, forge partnerships. Um, but yeah, and I, I'm I'm super happy doing what I'm doing and um honestly, you know, bridging the gap on both sides. I think it's it's a lot of fun and you know, we'll see. We'll see. I just want to get through 2020 and hopefully, you know, my kids will stay in school and that would be, that would be success in, in my mind. <laughs> One day at a time, I say. Seriously, we, we have, we have just redefined what goals look like uh, throughout 2020. That's uh, right. Keeping That's them right. very, uh, very, very short and attainable. Well, Sarah Slane, Slane Advisory, we appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. I'll ask you one final question. You brought this up on social media. Um, why do you follow Matt Brown? <laughs> I always love, I love that. Um, I, you know, like, I, hey, it's very self-deprecating. I, I feel bad. I, I think, you, you know, you, you got to follow him. Come on, come on. <laughs> so you're trying to build up his ego a little bit. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly yeah what you don't know behind the scenes is we have a hard time keeping that ego under check anyway so he'll, he'll oh, be very happy oh, to hear that uh, okay. he has another fan out there sarah we appreciate your time <laughs> thank you thanks for having me again a huge huge thank you to sarah for stopping by on the pod adam i know you probably i do appreciate that you uh were were keeping tabs on the time because we don't want to keep people for three hour long podcasts i know you probably could have sat and talked for another hour but uh you probably had to throw some questions in the trash can that you were ready to ask oh without question i mean i ended up you know trying to cover about 15 years worth of time in, in roughly 30 minutes with sarah <laughs> and i'm sure we could have had that conversation uh you know for for days to come but we greatly appreciate her time, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to her again in the future. The other big news, guys, again, just two topics this week. Wanted to make sure that you had time to listen to the interview with Sarah is that Caesars has agreed to purchase William Hill $3.7 billion with a B, and this is something that came about rather quick. It was like rumor, 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 boom, the deal is done. Um Dustin, I'll start with you here on this. I mean, this is something that, again, it seemed like we kind of get the heads up on these things when they're starting to come to fruition. And we kind of start to get the heads up on these when the when the smoke is turning into fire. And this was kind of like smoke, 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 fire almost in, in like 10 minutes. It was the craziest thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this this consolidation in, in U.S. sports betting, you know, again, this is we're, we're seeing you know, everybody, you know, stake their 
stake their ground out now. I mean, Caesars and William Hill already had a deal to work together. William Hill uh, providing retail sports books, uh, getting retail, getting access to markets via Caesars footprint in the U.S. Um, and this just kind of is a you know makes a lot of sense for both parties. Uh, and the biggest part is. Uh, the most interesting part is there Caesars is looking to spin off the non-U.S. business, which is almost all of the business right now, and just use William Hill uh, assets in the United States. So, and as, as we reported, 93% of group revenues in the first half of 2020 were were overseas. So, not a lot of revenue. This is a you know a play to bring sports betting and online expertise in-house for Caesars. Caesars has you know has obviously trailed. It was not trailed some of the big boys. In the in the sports betting world and on like casino world, looking to change that with this deal and you know bringing bringing William Hill into the in the house and you know you, know, you, you, you didn't know this was going to happen for sure with Caesars until the the smoke started coming out last last week there uh, but you know, it, it is clear that Caesars you know sees what everybody else is doing sees MGM sees DraftKings and FanDuel and says we have to do something that's more than this market access deal with William Hill and this is apparently the answer. Adam, we talked about Caesars and kind of how they have gone about things. I mean, there is, they went ahead and partnered up with ESPN as far as being their odds provider. Then they also built an ESPN studio over at the link here in Las Vegas, where live programming goes out of every single day here in Vegas. So Caesars definitely was already in on sports betting, but this just kind of shows, I think, just exactly how in they are, how much they are in on sports in general, how bullish they are on sports in general. And I think this just kind of goes back to what we say a lot of times here is like, yeah, we have come a long way in a short amount of time, but there is still so so much to happen within this market and within the United States. I mean, again, we still don't have California and Texas and Florida and basically don't have New York because the, they don't have mobile registration and mobile sign up there and people aren't driving up to, to upstate New York to place their bets and stuff. So, I mean, there is still just a lot here for all of this because I know some people are going to look at that number and say, holy mackerel, that is just a massive number. But one, they're going to spin off a bunch of this and two, we're still pretty much in the infancy here in the United States. Matt, we had this discussion two years ago. We had this discussion a year ago. We're having it again now that even over two and a half years, you really are just seeing the first or second inning of this whole thing. Um, when we look at the Caesars and William Hill situation, it's kind of a, kind of laughable almost when you look at the ESPN situation where it's been like ESPN odds provided by Caesars. Provided by Caesars, powered by William Hill, provided by Caesars, William Hill might go back to power just being powered by Caesars again. Um, I think when you see Caesars make this deal, you have to say, OK, how were they going to scale up nationally? Right. How are they going to be able to compete on that bigger scale? You mentioned some of the other deals um, that have been done out there. And yes, Caesars had you know an agreement with Cy Games and and has been dipping its toe in the water other places. But just look at the New Jersey market if you want an example of how, yes, there is technology. Yes, they have something out there. And no, it really hasn't been anything that's made any sort of a splash. So the William Hill situation, considering there was already some level of tie up there, makes a lot of sense for Caesars. And, you know, Caesars did a, a very smart business thing. And if you were reading the stories about this agreement, Caesars basically said, yeah, you can either take the deal with us and let us acquire you, or we're going to terminate the deal we have with you in the first place. So, you know, for, for William Hill, I think that it certainly made uh, sense whether under 
coercion, threats, or choice uh, to make this deal. So you know, Caesars now gets a partner that has the technology and the presence and the footprint to scale up. And I think the biggest thing that we've said about William Hill all along is that William Hill really doesn't have the brand name, right? Like William Hill is not a recognizable operator to folks outside the industry and outside Nevada. And if you stick the Caesars name on top of it, I think that it looks like a lot more of an attractive product if you scale it up. Dustin, I think one of the interesting things for us to follow through all of this, and of course, this is this will take some time to close and and all that. So there will be you know a lot to happen between now and when this gets done. But you know, William Hill is found inside a bunch of casinos that were owned by other people and stuff, specifically here in Nevada, but in in other places as well. It is hard for me to believe that you're going to walk into the Venetian here in Las Vegas and have a Caesars owned sports book in there. It's hard for me to believe you're going to walk into the Cosmopolitan and have a Caesars owned sports book in there. So this is going to open up uh, also just a lot of different partnerships here for us. I mean, hell, it seems like we're talking about a new partnership every single week here on the podcast. But, you know, across the state of Nevada and in, in other places across the country as well. There is going to be new partnerships to be had because there is not going to be very many scenarios where a competing casino partner is going to uh, say, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, you just you just have a presence inside of our casino <laughs> while we're at it. Like, don't worry about that. And by the way, soak up all of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, there, there's a lot to a lot of that out there. I mean, New Jersey is another good example of William Hill actually runs three, I believe, three retail books. They operate the one at the Ocean casino resorts on in Atlantic City. They also operate Monmouth Parks. I guess Monmouth Park, they might not care as much, but um, these are, that, those are some of the earliest sports books that were in New Jersey from a retail perspective. So I don't, I agree. I don't know. Like Again, another casino in Atlantic City. Yes, you have Caesars inside you. I, I, it does feel super weird. I don't know how that goes. The thing, the thing I really take away from this is when we were having a, uh, Talk, having these conversations six to nine months ago, it was DraftKings and FanDuel, and we were kind of laughing at everyone else. And the laughing has, has definitely stopped, right? We uh, we uh, we are in a different world where we have now. You know, I, I, I put this in a in a in a serious contender for 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 at least number two market share. I don't know if you guys agree, but you know, we now have Barstool, which is going to be a serious contender, whether whether we like the brand or not, or, or agree with them. They are they are instantly a serious contender. We have. Uh, points bet which has this math these has done all these deals uh we have mgm which has suddenly you know kind of exploded they are getting market share in meaningful ways in states and have started you know spending lots of money to acquire customers so we are you know DraftKings and vandal had the lead and we didn't even mention rush street also going public uh, via reverse merger there are lots of serious contenders now um that will be backed by lots of money and you know it's a different it's a different world now where you now have a lot of legitimate uh, contenders where we didn't see, we didn't see that coming in, uh, coming into this year, really. And now, now we have the, the, the competition for DraftKings and FanDuel has gotten, has gotten real. So what do they do? Are they, are they going to keep, uh, keep that the stranglehold on one and two? Are they going to lose market share? Do some of these companies just additive to the market? That's, that's the story here coming out of uh, coming to the end of 2020 and to the future of us sports betting is, is who's going, who's going to, to, really take meaningful market share and who's going to be the leaders or are we or DraftKings and family going to be able to hold on to those positions? Yeah, I think that caveat is probably important on there that, you know, we say there are a number of other contenders and it's completely accurate. Uh, I think 
at the beginning of that discussion, we're probably still talking about, you know, who's going to establish themselves as a clear number three and then maybe be able to move up from there because, you know, a lot of those brands you just mentioned are going to come in with a lot of assets, but they're also going to come in, you know, at a significant disadvantage in terms of, uh, you know, market share that's already been acquired because the question is going to be how far can you expand the market, right? The question is going to be how many new betters can you bring in because what we've seen has been that the market has been incredibly sticky over the U.S. through the first, you know, uh, 30 plus months. So it will be quite interesting to watch. And frankly, there were some things you mentioned in there just a minute ago that I was like, oh, yeah, that too. Like there is just so much going on right now. And we, and we didn't yeah. even mention Bet365, which is barely even tried in the United States, right? Like that, that, that's, that's just a sleeping giant sitting out there too. Uh, they, they've approached it cautiously, but they're out there. I mean, you dismiss them at your own peril too. And and I assume with all of this, guys, um, what we're going to see here is most likely William Hill books get rebranded Caesars, right? I mean, that seems to be the prevailing brand, and that seems to be that the brand that they want to push forward with. I can't imagine that they would keep the William Hill name, but correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. No, I think you're exactly right, Matt. I mean, that's what I was just saying a minute ago. Like, if you just grabbed 10 people off the street and said, have you heard of Caesars? Have you heard of William Hill? Like, you know what people are going to come out with. It's going to be Caesars. Yeah. I just, it seems, I know there were some people trying to kind of argue that point. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like, seems like Caesars is, is the way to go there for sure. You want people walking into your, your properties and seeing your name, I would imagine, as opposed to somebody else's name. But this is uh, again, two huge, huge stories going down here in the last couple of days. And, um, Ones that are not done yet. We are certainly going to continue to update you guys as they go on. Of course, there's more stuff that has happened over the past week, and you can find all of that over at Legal Sports Report. So be sure and head over there, see all the great reporting that's going on by Brad, Matt, and Adam, and everybody else that's going, uh, writing all those articles over there on LSR. So we do appreciate you guys going through and reading all the stuff that's going on over there. And again, thanks to Sarah Slane for stopping by. Could have gone for three hours. I appreciate the pity follow as well. It does make me feel good. Um, I will admit that. Adam even got in the little the little jab, and I do appreciate that a ton. Um, oh, far, Adam, far from a jab. Just speaking the truth. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. For Adam. For Dustin. I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week. Go through some emails, check your calendar, see that you have a 45-minute break in the day between meetings, realize this is your moment. So you drive right to McDonald's to pick up something extra delicious ASAP. Meal. Thank you. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Buy one of your select faves and get another for just a dollar every morning, like a sausage McMuffin or hash browns. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Cabo meal, valid when product served. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 